have a seat. Yeah, we can clap. We can clap. Come on. That's good. Praise, praise God for worship. That's so good. Um, what's up, guys? My name is Colin. Uh, I am on staff here with Salt Company, so if I haven't met you yet, I would love to meet you. Uh, find me in the back after the service. I'd love to get to know you. Um, I don't always do this. I'm going to say a quick thing about Fall Retreat, and then, and then we'll jump in. Guys, every year, I, I hear people who come up with just, like, pretty creative, honestly, excuses of why they can't go to Fall Retreat, um, or, like, people that are so on the fence, and all they want is, like, someone to just, like, beg them to come. Uh, I, I'll just save you and the other person the time. You guys should really, really come and just come. Don't be that guy that needs someone to beg them to come. You guys should just jump in. Uh, so go to Fall Retreat. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to jump in to tonight's text. Um, so we're going to be going, we're going to be continue on, continuing on in our series uh, called Come and See, where we're looking at stories of Jesus in the writings of Luke. And so tonight we're going to be in the last chapter of the book of Luke, Luke 24. So if you have a Bible or a phone, uh, why don't you pull it out? That's where I'm going to be. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I'm going to spend most of my time in Luke 24. Um, so you guys now are a few weeks into school, um, and so you guys have probably had some tests, some quizzes, nods. We need to, we need to up crowd participation a little bit. Tests, quizzes. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. A little more energy in the room. Let's go. Um, you guys have probably had to read some books. Uh, probably a lot of you haven't read those books yet. Um, Except you for sure know who the freshmen are in the room because they read it, reread it, read their notes, and then like took notes on their notes. It's like, okay, you've really got to chill out. Uh, you got to learn how to like kind of read books in college. Um, but the worst, guys, the worst is when you show up to class and you're supposed to have like gotten a good amount of reading done and the teacher walks in, like has a smile on her face, looks at you and is like, so what was today's, like what was the main point of today's reading? And your stomach sinks a little bit because you like maybe barely skimmed it and can tell you like one thing that's on one page, right? And so you like tell her that and, and she kind of laughs and is like, yeah, I mean like that was in your reading, but that wasn't the point of your reading, right? Like maybe I'm, maybe I'm just exposing the type of student I was and the things that made me really nervous in school, but I'm guessing some of you are similar to me. But here's what's true of everyone in the room is that you guys don't want to miss the point. Like, if you read something, you don't want to miss the point of what you read. If you're having a conversation with someone, you don't want to miss the point of the conversation. If you're here at Salt Company, I'm guessing you don't want to miss the point of a sermon. We really don't want to miss the point of life's big events. That's why we ask questions like, well, what is God doing? What, what's the point of this? Because we don't want to miss the point. And lastly, we don't want to miss the point of our lives. Like, we don't want to have come, lived, died, and completely missed it. And tonight, we're going to look at a story of two men who missed the point. And so that's where we're going to be in Luke 24. Before we jump into the text, let me set the stage for you. This is what's happening in Luke 24, the backdrop, so to speak. Jerusalem is bustling. People are everywhere. It's the end of the Passover feast that brings, that brings hundreds of thousands of people to Jerusalem every year. But this year's Passover was different because in the middle of all the Passover festivities, there was a trial and two men were put on trial. One was Barabbas, a known murderer, and the other Jesus. 
And this Jesus character wasn't obscure. Like, it's not like no one had ever heard of him. He was kind of the talk of the town. Everyone was talking about Jesus. Everyone has an, had an opinion on him. Was he a prophet? Was he crazy? Was he ex- the expected Messiah? The one they were expecting to come. But the verdict came, and Bar- Barabbas, this murderer, was set free, and Jesus was crucified, crucified for what they claimed, for what he was claiming, to be king of the Jews. And now three days later, after the talk of the town continued, gossip was everywhere. Everyone knew about this Jesus guy. It's time for the Passover feast to be done, and so people depart Jerusalem. And this is where we find ourselves in the story. Two men, a man named Cleopas and, and his friend, guys who had been following Jesus for a while. Like there was Jesus' inner circle, like the, the 12 apostles, but then he had kind of this this outer circle of disciples, people that were following him. They were in this outer circle. They knew Jesus personally. They knew who he was. And it, it's these two men that we're talking about today. So we're going to be in verse 15. While they were talking and dis- discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Catch that. They're looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people. And our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen, they they had even seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Okay, so think of the confusion that these men are feeling it's not just that the body was gone like they, they it's not like they just believe that he came back to life because they're sad they're devastated they said but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem israel that means that these men weren't just hoping jesus was a good person or even a prophet they were hoping he was the expected king the one who was going to overthrow rome This is who they thought Jesus was, the one who was going to sit on the throne of David. But they had hoped in one who died. The one who they had put their hope in had died. And even though the women said they found the tomb empty, they didn't believe the women because they remained sad. Their expectation was for a conquering warrior king, but that same man died at the hands of those they were hoping he would conquer. It's hard to put into words just what these men are feeling. They watched the hope of their lives and what they thought to be the hope of the world die. It's like, imagine if you're a character in a superhero movie. So let's just say The Dark Knight, because everyone knows that's the best superhero movie of all time. Um, that's, <laughs> um, so you're a character in a superhero movie, and uh, the Joker is like, you know, wreaking havoc in Gotham City, And in 
the opening scene, Joker versus Batman. Everyone's like ready for Batman to do his thing, and Batman dies. Not like in a weird, like, Batman dies but comes back to life because Batman's like eight steps ahead of everyone. Like, not in the Christopher Nolan way, actually. Imagine if you're a person in Gotham City and you watch Batman die. The one that they had hoped in, the one that they thought was going to be the hero, had died. It felt like they watched the hope of their lives die. You, th- you see, they thought the point of the story was victory over Rome. And they were confused because everything that they had hoped in with their entire lives proved not to be true. Or at least not true in the way they thought. Now it's Jesus' turn to speak. Verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So Jesus is still a mystery man at the time. Like they don't know that this is Jesus talking. But, but they realize right away that, that he has a lot of wisdom. This, this mystery man is like, hey, telling them, like, you missed the point. You missed it. You've read it your whole lives. You know the words on the page, but you don't know what the words are saying. You read the book, but missed the point. That's what this man says to them. You see, they say, was it not necessary that the Christ, so what does the Christ mean? It's the Greek word for Messiah, and Messiah means the anointed one. So they thought the Christ was going to be a conquering king, but they missed that he was also a suffering servant. The one that they had hoped in, knew they knew he was going to be a conquering king, they just missed that he was also the suffering servant, and that is what the whole book is all about, that the Messiah is both the conquering king and the suffering servant. And then it says, verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus is saying, from the books Moses wrote, which start in Genesis, through the prophets, which goes till Malachi, which is the last book in your Old Testament, um, it's all about him. From Genesis to Malachi, it's all about me. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus isn't like making that up. He's not reverse engineering the Bible to make it say something that it, it was never intended to say. He's saying from the, since the beginning of time, since before the Bible was written, the story the Bible was going to tell was going to be about Jesus. And all throughout the Old Testament, it was going to point to him. Jesus wanted these men to know that not only was he the climax of the story, but the whole story was pointing to him. Here's what we know about Jesus is that he obeys the laws of God. He embodies the stories of God. He fulfills the promises of God, redeems the people of God to coronate the kingdom of God. The whole story was about him. Like, God the Father, when God the Father and Jesus and and the Spirit were all hanging out in heaven before creation, because that's what happens when your God is your, you exist eternally. He exists eternally in three persons, so they're hanging out. They're like deciding how things are going to go. And in that meeting, they said, it's all about Jesus. 
It's all going to be about Jesus. They always knew that Jesus was going to be the prophetic, suffering, kingly hero. But I think some of us are like the men in the story with our Bibles. We're like the men in the story with our Bibles in that we have missed the point. Like we've looked at the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and we think like that's a different, alien, foreign God, or somehow that God changed his nature between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Or something else we do with our Bible, another way we miss the point, so to speak, is we go to the Bible with all the assumptions of how we would be God. And we use the Bible as like a point of comparison between how God rules as God and how I would rule as God. We miss the point. Or something I do a lot is we try to write ourselves into a story that the story's not actually about. That the story is somehow about us. That the Bible is somehow about uh, given to me so I can obtain glory for myself. So that I can seek after my own sort of glory by following its rules or knowing it really well. You see, we've missed the point of the story because if we look at the Bible with trying to criticize it or trying to make it somehow about our own self-fulfillment, we've wildly misunderstood the Bible. And these false views of the Bible actually affect the way we live. They really do. Because if we have a false view of the Bible, we maybe won't see the Bible as important. So we just won't read it. We won't pick it up. Or we don't think that the Bible actually is God's voice. Or we don't think that God's voice matters. Because I'd be a better God than he would be. So God's voice doesn't matter. And this is what happens is that we end up wandering aimlessly through our lives. Because the Bible is the story of the God of the universe. And so when we don't hear his voice, we miss the point and we end up wandering aimlessly through our lives and a lot of us pick something that we want our life to be about because we miss the point in the Bible so we pick something else to make our life about and we run and chase after that thing at, at all expenses and then we pick some other hero of the story and we idolize that person so much until that person becomes the God of our lives or maybe you don't idolize a person you just idolize yourself so what you end up doing is you end up making yourself the God of your life. But if you want to know God, like the actual God, he reveals himself in his word. Like we don't just say God's voice is revealed in his word around Saul Company just for fun. Like we actually believe in the, in the pages of scripture. God's, like this is where God's voice is found. The very person of Christ, like his nature is seen in this book, it's revealed, including the Old Testament. So the Bible, it's not about you, it's about God, but the Bible does have something to say to you. And what you say the Bible says has profound implications for your life. And so I just want to take a few minutes and tell you the story of the Bible, which is the story of who God is and, and a story that, that can change your life. 
So let's start in the beginning, Genesis 1. God created us to be with him. And, and we mattered because we were in his family. We were like a part of the family of God, and God gave humanity this beautiful place to live and to flourish with him. And Genesis 2, 16 and 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day you eat of it you shall surely die. So humanity flourished with God in the garden, but not for very long. Because they weren't content just being with God. They wanted to be like God. And we do the exact same thing. We're, we're actually not just content being with God. We want to be like God. We want to know the things that he knows. But the issue of eating the tree, the price for rebellion was death. That's what Genesis 2 said. But God wasn't surprised by that. God actually knew we were going to run from him. In his foreknowledge, he knew we were going to run from him and try to be a God for ourselves. And so in his very nature, God made a way for people to come back into his family. After humanity rebels against God, God says this curse to the serpent, who is Satan. Genesis 3:15. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see what I'm saying? You see, Jesus is the offspring of the woman of the woman that would suffer, but end up crushing the head of the serpent so you could live out of his dominion, or not being in his dominion. We start seeing Jesus all the way back in Genesis. Okay, let's continue with the story. This people, these people, in order, to, um, in order to pay the ransom that they had to, had to sacrifice animals. Death was the price. So these animals that they had to sacrifice had to be pure. But the issue is they'd only pay for a penalty for about a week or so until the next animal needed to be sacrificed. This is what Numbers 29 says. Numbers 29, 8. But you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord a pleasing aroma, one bull from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs a year. See that they are without blemish. You see, Jesus, he is our perfect and worthy sacrifice to cover your sins. Let's keep going. Then the people of God have a, have a famine. And this famine, in a crazy turn of events, makes them enslaved. And to free the people from slavery, God decides to send a plague in Egypt. That's where they're enslaved. So God's going to send a plague in Egypt. But he says, hey, if you take the blood of a lamb and put it over your doorpost, I'm going to save you from the plague. And this became the Passover celebration, the very celebration that was happening at the crucifixion of Jesus. Let's go back to where this celebration starts in Exodus 12. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. On the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep his service. And when your children say, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he has passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. 
You see, the point of the story in Exodus is not just that God would pass over his people in Egypt, but that God would actually send a better Passover lamb, and he would pass over your sins when you believe in his blood. It's pointing to Jesus. So then the people wander for 40 years. Finally, they enter into the promised land. But there are all these like evil child-sacrificing nations that are living in this land, like just these just grotesque evil. So they're trying to overthrow the people of God, so God sends warriors to them. This is Joshua 5. When Joshua was by Jericho, one of those evil nations, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us, or are you for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. You see, the story was not just that God would provide Joshua's, would give Joshua victory in his conquest, but that Jesus would become a warrior to fight the battles that you couldn't fight. To fight the battle against sin that you could never have victory over. So in the story of the Bible, they overthrow these nations and they decide, hey, we're going we're gonna to create a nation for ourselves. So they establish a kingdom and God makes David king. And this is what he promises to David, 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. You see, the point of this story is not just that David's son would be king, but that a better king is coming to rule over his people. It's about Jesus. He wants to invite you into his kingdom. Jesus was trying to show you and these people that he was the point of it all. He fulfilled all the promises of God. It was all about him. The coming, conquering king was the perfect Passover sacrifice. He didn't come to overthrow Rome, but to overthrow the power of Satan and his foothold on darkness. The king didn't come to establish the kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of God. This is Jesus. The story of the Bible is about God. The God of the Bible. And I just want to take like a quick, quick side note. If you are a non-believer in the room, thank you for being here, but Here's also what I want to say to everyone in the room is that your opinion of God does not actually shape the character of God. God's character is, like God is who he is. So your opinion of God actually has no effect on the character of God. But the God of the Bible is one who is deserving of infinite honor and glory and that God though you were far from him, wanted to ransom you back into his family. The price was death. Jesus paid it for you so that you can know him. That's how God revealed himself to you. Most evidently, that is how God revealed himself to you. Okay, let's go back to the story. So the story with the men on the road continues. They hear maybe the most biblically true, theologically rich, praiseworthy teaching that was ever given. They still don't recognize Jesus. They still have no idea who he is. But they were blown away. Like they knew something was different 
Like this guy was different or this teaching was different or I'm feeling something different happening because maybe they saw for the first time that they had missed the point. Man, I actually missed the point of this book I read my whole life. So they're asking, who is this man that unlocks the key to our Bible, the book we grew up hearing, reading? Who is this man who told us the point of the story? So they invite Jesus to have a meal with them and, and, and to stay with them. And this is what verse 31 says. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures. You see, Jesus, the great prophet and teacher, the point of the story, had been with them. Probably for hours. Like they had walked miles together. And they didn't see it. They missed, they missed it. Missed the point. They, they missed it in their Bibles. They missed it on their walk. They missed it in their lives. When they heard but then when they heard from Jesus, like when he opened them to them the scriptures, it's not just that they understood their Bible. Why did, why did fire burn within them? It's not just that they understood their Bible, but that they understood their lives. Because when we understand our Bible, we actually start to understand our lives. Their hearts burned. Even though they didn't recognize Jesus, they felt the word of God coming alive. Their souls were getting reoriented for the first time to the story of the Bible and the story of their actual souls. So maybe you have walked for miles with Jesus. Maybe you've known about him, you've known about the Bible, you could even share some stories that are in the Bible, but you've missed the point. You've lived your whole life thinking the Bible was a book of rules about how to get to God, not a book telling you about the character of God. Or maybe you're acknowledging Jesus without acknowledging that he's the point of the story. But here's my real fear. My real fear isn't just that you miss the point of the Old Testament or the point of your Bibles, but in missing the point of your Bible, you miss the point of your life. Because we all want our hearts to burn like that. That's like part of being human. We want our hearts to burn. We want our souls to feel alive. And so we look in so many different places to feel alive. Maybe we look to school. Maybe you look to relationships or to pleasure or to a career or success. But here's what's true, is if that's where you're looking to make your soul burn, to make your soul feel alive, ultimately, you're looking to yourself to make it feel alive. If I can be successful enough in school, if I can be successful enough in this area or that area, and this causes you to live your whole life thinking that you were the point of the story. Some of you are with me, maybe some of you aren't. Let me, let me explain what being the point of your own story looks like. Man, maybe you've seen others as a means to an end. Maybe you've seen glory as a thing to achieve as opposed to a thing to give. Maybe you've suffered as though you've been entitled to something different. You make decisions based on how you feel or what feels good in the moment. 
your career is about self-gratification. Your thoughts are about self-improvement. Your desire is about self-actualization so that one day maybe you can reach self-acceptance. And your whole life you've been told that that's how you should live. Probably subtly, by, by media and by your teachers, by school, you've been told that you are the point of your own story. But here's what being the point of your own story actually means. And I'm, I'm really serious when I say that. You trying to be the point of your own story is the very thing that makes your life terrible. Let me, let me prove this to you. Like, you're trying to keep your world from falling apart, but you're aware that it's hanging on by a thread, and so you're just like, you're freaking out, and you're getting anxious. Like, your anxiety over school and work, I would say, is at least in part, maybe fully, at least in part, due to you trying to be the point of your own story. If I don't get a good enough grade, I won't graduate, I won't get the job I want. I, 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 it, it's, it's about me. Your anxiety over school is due to you trying to be the point of your own story. But that's actually not the point of your story, especially when you're in Christ. This is what's true, is that the resurrection of Jesus is not just the climax of the Bible, but the climax of your life. And it's actually not just the climax of the Bible or just the climax of your life. It's actually the climax of all of human history. God putting death to death. That's the climax of all of human history. That a man was dead, shook off death, and walked out of a tomb that he was buried in. Okay, I, I just want to say one thing to, to a group of you in the room. Uh, some of you actually don't have any problem believing that you're not the point of the story. Actually, what you struggle with is you struggle just believing that you matter. Because you've probably been hurt or taken advantage of. You've had broken relationships or you have just suffered in ways that like the people around you have no idea. And I want to say I'm sorry. Uh, truly, I am sorry. But here's what I want to say to you is that you matter because God came to you. You matter because God paid the price for your life with his. If you didn't matter, God wouldn't do that for you. You matter because God didn't let death win. You matter because God says that you matter. Just because you aren't the point does not mean that you don't matter. You matter, but you're not the point. Have you guys ever noticed that, that everyone loves a redemption story? Like, no one ever has to teach you to love redemption stories. No one has to teach you to love the underdog. No one has to teach you to clap for the player who gets up after the injury and walks off the field or maybe gets back in the game. No one has to teach you to like cheer for the person who grow, grew up struggling but makes his way out to be successful. Why? We love redemption stories. Well, maybe it's not just that we all love redemption stories, but that you love redemption stories because you've been placed in a cosmic redemption story. But you aren't the main point. You aren't the redeemer. You aren't the hero. You're the redeemed. You love redemption stories because you have a redemption story in Christ. And when you matter, but Jesus becomes the point of your story, 
everything has changed. Because you being the point of your own story causes selfishness, but recognizing that Jesus is the point of the story, that brings humility. You being the point of your story causes dissension. Recognizing that Jesus is the point of the story, that brings love. You being the point of your own story causes anxiety. Recognizing that Jesus is the point of the story, that brings joy. You being the point of your own story causes death. Jesus being the point of your story brings life. When Jesus becomes the point of your story, your hearts will burn as though this was the life that you were created for. That that was the life that you were made for. So you do your hearts burn for him. Like the men seeing something greater, seeing what the Bible was about, but more than that, seeing what their lives were about, is the story beginning to get clearer. So what's the climax of your story? Here's what's true. The climax of your story happened over a three-day period 2,000 years ago in a relatively insignificant place called Calvary where God in human flesh walked up a hill and he could barely make it. And then he had nails driven into his hands. But don't be mistaken that somehow it was human power that put those nails there. The person hanging on the cross actually empowered the nails to be driven into his hands. And he was put up on a cross. And he looked out. And he could have walked off that cross, but he saw the people killing him. And he saw that their lives deserved death. All the sin in their life was actually bringing about death in their life and they deserved that but he loved them too much to let that be the outcome so God perfect, holy blameless, righteous powerful, let death win but in the greatest turn in human history, Jesus walked out of the grave proving to be the Christ the anointed one the expected one. He put death to death and he paid the price of your life with his blood. And that man, Jesus, met two men on a road 2,000 years ago and he explained the point of their life. And that man, Jesus, still today, comes into rooms like this one and he looks at you by his spirit and he says, hey, you matter. You matter, but you're not the point. I'm the point. So Soul Company, what does your heart burn for? What does your heart burn for? That's determined by who you say Jesus is. Here's what's true. Is that in Genesis, he's the creator God, serpent slayer, and covenant keeper. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the perfect law keeper. In Numbers, he's the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy, he is the faithful prophet. In Joshua, he is the conquering warrior. In Judges, he is the divine deliverer. In Ruth, he is the kinsman redeemer. In 1 and 2 Samuel, he is the anointed one. In 1 and 2 Kings, he is the expected king. In 1 and 2 Chronicles, he is the builder of the temple. 
In Ezra and Nehemiah, he's the restorer of the temple. In Esther, he's the keeper of his people. In Job, he is the living redeemer. In Psalms, he's the praise of the people. In Proverbs, he's the wisdom of God. In Ecclesiastes, he is the good teacher. In Song of Solomon, he is our true satisfaction. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's the man of sorrows. In Ezekiel, he's the son of man. In Daniel, he's the coming Messiah. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the restorer of Israel. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is the mighty judge. In Jonah, he's the foreign missionary. In Micah, he is our peace. In Nahum, he is our avenger. In Habakkuk, he's the holy God. In Zephaniah, he's the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he is the Lord of hosts. In Zechariah, he is the fountain of cleansing. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness. In Matthew, he's the king of the Jews. In Mark, he is the servant of God. In Luke, he is the son of man. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he is the ascended Lord. In Romans, he is our justifier. In 1 and 2 Corinthians, he is our righteousness. In Galatians, he is our redeemer from the curse. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is our joy. In Colossians, the fullness of God. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he is the coming Lord. In 1 and 2 Timothy, he is our mediator. In Titus, he is our blessed hope. In Philemon, he is the one who paid our debt. In Hebrews, he is the great high priest. In James, he is the judge standing at the door. In 1 and 2 Peter, he is the chief priest. In 1 and 2 Peter, is the chief shepherd. In 1 and 2 John, he is the word of life. In Jude, he is our advocate. And in Revelation, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. So who do you say Jesus is? Because today, in 2021, he's the one who was, is, and is to come. He's the redeemer of the world, the shepherd of your souls, and the king of all. That is Jesus. Let's stand and worship him.